everybody, and welcome back to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Well, dear listeners, here we are at season six, and I have to start off by saying a special thank you. With no new content being released over the last few weeks, I had expected my listenership numbers to remain rather stagnant. I expected the standard number for a new episode listen and maybe just a few additional listens to some back episodes. And I, with a little amount of pride, can now say that every single episode of From Plum Creek with Love has been heard at least 100 times. Not only that, I had anticipated starting season 6 with just barely reaching 19,000. And I can also share that we are right at the precipice of 20,000. When I started this podcast, it, again, was just a pandemic project, so there was no intentions of ever reaching a certain number. However, I can now switch this from being a pandemic project to a passion project, because my passion is to finish this project. And I have had a few people ask me what I plan to do after this project is completed, and I've got one or two ideas on the back burner. However, we are still a year or two away from that. And with that, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Back to School, Part 1, and debuted on September 17th, 1979. The episode was written and directed by, you guessed it, Michael Landon. We're back at Plum Creek. Carrie rushes out the door, reminding us she's always waiting until the last minute to use the outhouse as she sprints up the hill. Inside the house, Baby Grace is at the table. She has bangs and plenty of hair, and Caroline is serving up some coffee to her man Charles. He makes a comment, What's wrong with Carrie? This is her fourth trip to the bathroom this morning. Caroline claims Carrie is anxious for the new teacher. Did Allie G retire? Was she dismissed? Did the school board have something to do with it? She was so excited about being the teacher last season. Caroline yells up to the loft to hurry Laura and Albert along. Laura claims Albert is busy primping himself while Albert is busy stepping out of denial. Carrie comes rushing in, is told to get herself dressed for school, because she's just running around naked. Just kidding. Meanwhile, Laura makes her way down from the loft in a new red dress. And a deeper voice. And Albert? Yes, Albert was primping himself in a new suit and a tidy and trendy new haircut. I would call this look prairie chic. Charles, however, seems confused and inquires why Albert is dressed for a wedding or a funeral. And Albert proclaims, can a boy, I mean a young man, dress up nice? And to his side, Laura, we know her in secrets and she can't contain them. And she blurts out, Albert is hoping the new teacher will be pretty. Albert says that idea is dumb. Laura says his tie is dumb. And Charles? Charles says they're both dumb. Just kidding. He says, stop arguing about who's the dumbest and get to school and see who's the most smartest. Laura kisses Charles 
calls Albert something the closed captions didn't pick up, and heads out the door, excited to share the stories of her summertime adventure. At which point, Charles says, it's best to keep it to ourselves. Uh, you know, because uh, some of the crimes we possibly committed and laws we broke, you know, pretend like it never happened. Laura, okay, Paul. Albert grabs his book and vows to Charles that he will not mess up his nice new clothes by playing in them. That somewhat seems like famous last words. When Albert is gone, Charles gets up and closes the door. And these two are 100% alone. And yes, I know, Baby Grace is there, but is she really? Besides, if Baby Grace wasn't present, this is probably where she'd be introduced. But instead of getting it on, on the prairie, Charles talks about the beginning of another school year and how things seem to be going by so quickly. Caroline, starting the dishes, says this could also go by quickly if you helped. And Charles responds with, that's not man's work, which <laughs> Caroline calls sacrilegious. And Charles seems a little stunned by this. And beans and rice, Caroline quotes, Second Kings, 2113, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Caroline, being the boss bee that she is, tells Charles if he wants to fact check, his Bible is next to the bed, where he left it. Charles fetches a dish rag. We are outside of Walnut Grove Public School, and not only is Walnut Grove getting a new teacher, but there is a new building. It's right next to the Ice House slash Walnut Grove Prison. Not only that, Nellie Olson graduates today. And according to Laura, now that Nellie Olson is graduated, she is a grown-up and she can do whatever she wants, which I'm confused. Didn't she already do that? Albert tells Laura if she's in such a hurry to grow up, she can head over to Mankato, like Nellie did, and take the final school exam there. Mr. Olson steps out from behind the curtain of this concealed building and greets everyone and tells them the new project is going to be completed today for Nellie's graduation gift if Harriet Olson has to whip it. Whip him good. The construction workers, that is. We're also informed that this whole idea is Harriet Olson's. Laura and Albert then try to get Mr. Olson to spill the tea about what is behind the curtain. And just as Mr. Olson is about to tell them, Harriet Olson makes her way out of the mercantile, yells at him, and gives him the look. And from Mr. Olson, I swear she could hear a flea belch a mile away. Harriet makes her way across the street, but little Mr. Olson a little bit more and tells him to go get things ready. She also yells behind the curtains at the labor workers they have 90 minutes to complete this project. With a smile, Albert says this would have been done if you hired Charles and Jonathan Garvey. Yes, I could have, but I wanted to keep it a secret. She's not looking at Laura when she says this, but... We know she should be. The school bell rings and the student body make their way indoors. 
and Harriet Olsen makes her way behind the curtain to yell some more. As the kids find their seats, Albert stays behind, doing some final adjustments to his collar and tie, and peeks around the corner to see a teacher with a red bun on her head and a dress over her body. The word, the name Eliza is written on the board. He smiles, finds an open seat, as we find out Eliza's full name is Eliza Jane Wilder. Albert mouths the name, and she turns to face the classroom, and, well, Albert's facial expression immediately changes. Welcome, class. I am Miss Wilder. The use of horns in the soundtrack are to suggest Miss Eliza Jane Wilder. You are not a winner, baby. Albert proceeds to take off his tie, claiming, yeah, it's a little warm in here. From behind her desk, Eliza Jane Wilder tells us her job is teaching and the student's job is learning. And yes, 100% Dolores Umbridge vibes at this moment. She continues, make no mistake, if we all do our job, we should all get along splendidly. The only thing missing at the end of that sentence is the hiccup-like giggle. It is at this time Harriet Olsen comes into the school, along with Willie and Nellie. Nellie is trying to join the Baby Got Back crew with her fashionable at the time crinolette under her dress. And why is Nellie Olsen at school if she's already graduated? Harriet Olsen would like Nellie to give a commencement speech, aka a so long losers speech. Eliza Jane reluctantly agrees to the speech, but also calls it unusual. And Nellie Olson begins, fellow students, friends, and others, blah, 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 blah. Essentially what she's getting at is, I get to start being an adult. I'm going to add to that by saying she's an adult who doesn't know how to do really anything for herself. She's so unprepared. When the speech is over, Harriet Olson leads a lackluster applause, and for some reason, she wants to flaunt her graduation gift for Nellie in front of the student body, and asks again to Miss Eliza Jane Wilder, who is visibly annoyed having her classroom taken over, reluctantly grants permission for this. As everyone heads outside for the big reveal, Willie stays behind telling Miss Eliza Jane on her way out, eh, I already know what it is, and it's for her friends. I'm just the little brother. Outside, Harriet Olsen is up on a box, showering Nellie with compliments. She's really stalling for time to make sure that everything is done behind the curtain. She soon hears from behind the curtain that everything's a go, and Harriet declares, Nellie, this is your life. Live it your own way this is for you. She begins to pull the tarp back, but in the process, she manages to actually cocoon herself inside the tarp. The student body is busy LOLing to notice that the surprise is Nellie's, Olsen's own hotel and restaurant. So why are the students really there, however? Of course, free advertising. Harriet is busy announcing to everyone, tell your parents to come and dine here in Walnut Grove's first and only restaurant. 
Standing behind the children, Eliza Jane. That's fantastic. Are we done? All right, everyone, back to work. The student body turn around and walk towards school, leaving Nellie Olson all alone to face adulthood. As Harriet Olson continues to yell out more information about the restaurant, she finally turns to Nellie, who's not looking happy, and Harriet inquires if she's excited. And we get a very, very flat, certainly, mother. We get a tour of Nellie's hotel and restaurant. Harriet calls it charming. It's not too big and it's not too small. I see five tables with four seatings at each table. That seems like a lot for Walnut Grove. And then Harriet points at the sign. Do you ever have your name on a window? She touches it and it smears. The worker still standing there says that he just finished painting it and he didn't want to interrupt her as she was talking. Oh, P.S. Add two more tables. That's eight more chairs. This place is huge for Walnut Grove. We are then shown the kitchen and Nellie's eyes. Oh, God. It's like she's never seen a stove or an oven before. Harriet rushes in. Oh, this is such a majestic stove. And with slight giggles, Harriet Olson looks at her daughter and says, uh, she's absolutely speechless. Nellie Olson is actually confused. So like, who's going to do the cooking? With a smile on her face, not as genuine as it was a moment ago, uh, your name's on the window. It's at this moment, we're not really reminded or informed, but kind of given proof that Nellie Olson has no idea of how to take care of herself. She's not a fan of the domestic lifestyle. I hate cooking. Mr. Olson has been standing behind Nellie this entire time, and his final response is, well, you better start, and wow. Harriet's voice goes up to an octave we have not heard before. Mr. Olson yells back, don't raise your voice at me. I told you to ask her first, but no. Harriet Olson makes her way across the kitchen and tells Mr. Olson to leave her with Nellie. And Harriet Olson puts on her businesswoman demeanor and tells us the importance of having a small business. And we also find out a little more history on Harriet Olson. Apparently back home, she had a small mercantile before she met Mr. Olson. And she claims it helped her with getting married. What, did it help pay for the wedding? Harriet continues to lean in over Nellie and states, one, the men here are shy, and two, they might just be too nervous that they can't support you in the manner in which you are accustomed. Do I make myself clear? With her jaw clenched, Nellie responds, Crystal. Harriet then inquires again, do you like your gift? Yes. Mother, we receive the question once again from Nellie, still with her jaw clenched. So who's gonna do the cooking? Cut to a help wanted sign displayed on the outside of Nellie's for a cook. The school day is over. Oh, right, because this is the same day and everyone is leaving. Laura, Albert, and Andy, who's definitely had a growth spurt, 
his is easier to tell, discuss their new teacher. Andy's thrilled he won't be referred to as the teacher's pet anymore. Albert claims, we're probably going to get a lot more homework. And Laura, I like her. We're then treated to an amusing story of Willie Olson chewing up crackers in class and pretending to vomit on his tablet. Brilliant. The three of them decide to go fishing, but notice the sign at Nellie's and go to investigate it. Looking at that sign, Albert doesn't mention anything about wanting this job. We then hear a friendly voice ask if school is out yet. The three of them turn, and we see a young man. Yes, man, not a late teen, with a nice smile. He inquires if Miss Wilder has gone home. Albert and Andy respond, and Laura... Laura looks like she's having some new feelings. The young man in the wagon drives up to the school. It's at this moment Laura seems to have forgotten something in school, and she's not really sure what it is, so she's going to head over there because she has to get it. Her words, not mine. As Laura approaches the school, Eliza, Jane, and Willie are stepping outside. He's trying to barter about his punishment, writing whatever phrase 500 times. Eliza, Jane, annoyed, tells Willie if he asks again, it will be 1,000 times. Willie accepts defeat and says, Allie G only made me do it 100 times. Now I'm really going to throw up. Eliza Jane gives a troubled look before heading over into the wagon with the young man, who inquires how her day was. She responds with, to be expected for a first day. This is when she notices Laura and inquires if she has something she would like to ask her. Laura says no. She should have just stopped right there, because she continues on with that lie of forgetting something that she doesn't know what it is inside the school. Eliza Jane smiles and does the best thing. She introduces the new character, Almonzo Wilder. He smiles. My friends call me Manny. You know, like Manny Petty. And Laura? Laura is starry-eyed cruel. It's nice to meet you, manly. The Wilder siblings look at one another and start to lol. Through his chuckles, Manny states, it does have a virally ring to it. Eliza Jane tells Laura, we'll see each other tomorrow, and the wagon leaves. It's at this moment Laura realizes her mispronunciation, and she's as red as her red dress. At the fishing hole, Albert is there bragging out loud to Laura about how many fish he has caught. Laura yells out, she'll be right back, and ugh, the trifecta returns. The eye roll, the face palm, and the head shake as we see Laura pulling a, oh my god, Johnny Johnson and carving her initials as well as Almonzo Wilder's initials into a tree and... Ugh, Girl, just met him maybe an hour ago. P.S. How many trees have Laura's initials carved into him? From my count, this is at least two. It was L.I. and J.A. from season two's Talking Machine. And now I'm going to throw up. When Laura delivers a voiceover, if I had a remembrance book, just kidding. If I had a remembrance book, barf. I'd mark this day as one very special day. This is the day I met the man I will marry. Ugh. 
Even Little House is giving away its own spoilers. Cut to supper time at Plum Creek. Albert is relaying the whole Harriet Olsen being cocoon incident from earlier. They all LOL. Caroline tries to stifle it. But Charles calls it one of the silliest things he's ever heard. That's some gift. And Nellie can't even work. She's got no sense of accomplishment. Charles inquires to Laura what she would do if she received a gift like that. And Laura, who's not here, gives an answer that actually surprises Charles. Laura then asks if she can be excused from the table. Permission granted. With Laura gone, Albert mentions how Laura wasn't even that attentive when they were fishing that afternoon. She spent two hours fishing without a hook. Caroline claims maybe she's jealous? Charles states even if they did have the money, he wouldn't buy something like that. Caroline chuckles, that's okay, there's no danger of us spoiling our children with lavish gifts. And Charles, he gets defensive. Well, we'll do just fine when the new millstone comes in. Caroline, with some big eyes and a big smile, sure. And being a little shady, she inquires if she can get more coffee for her mill tycoon. Next day, or so, the student body is heading into class. Laura is in her red dress, again, still, playing tag with Albert and Andy. They reset their game, and Albert covers his eyes and gives them a five-second head start. Laura turns to start bolting and is stalled when she sees Manny dropping off his sister. Albert uncovers his eyes and sees Laura standing there. What's up? And Laura, uh, I forgot something. And she bolts in the opposite direction. Albert eye rolls and heads to school, while Manny circles his wagon and heads out of town. Where we find Laura walking along the side of the road and Manny coming by. He stops. I think you're going the wrong way. Laura confesses she left her tablet at home. Scooting over, Manny offers Laura a ride. Laura, climbing in, Oh, no, that's all right. I couldn't possibly accept that. Having a seat and scooting herself closer to Manny. Oh, this is really kind of you. Thank you. As the wagon starts up and we watch them ride along, Laura begins by apologizing for calling him manly yesterday. I'm so sorry. And Manny, in the slide, woof, says to Laura, he thinks the name is cute and grants Laura the sole use of that name. Laura, let's just say she gets excited. Manny takes this moment to inquire if Laura has a nickname that she can share, and she hesitates to respond with half pint. Oh, but I am much too old for that, she says, sitting next to a real adult. He then inquires what's her full name, and I think it's actually the first time we've heard it. Laura Elizabeth Ingalls. And rummaging through those names and not having much of an imagination, Manny settles for the name Beth. And personally, I think Laura would be happy with anything Manny called her. Arriving at Plum Creek, Manny offers a return trip back into town. And Laura says, no, thank you. You've been too kind. And as soon as Manny is out of the scene, Laura bolts back to town.
Back in town, as Laura is running by, there is a striking blacksmith with a nice porn stash working at Dorfler's, which is close to the place Laura stashed her tablet, school books, and lunch. And up over behind that mill, those new grain wheels have arrived. And you don't even need a magic eight ball to tell that something forked up is about to happen. We have a slope, we have a round object, and we have Charles at the bottom of the slope. Little physics on the prairie. Jonathan Garvey and the delivery man, whose name is Rob, have threaded the wheel with a wooden dowel and work on shifting the wheel on top of the ramp once Charles has removed the safety brake. Charles moves inside the mill house and closes the mill's doors, but is most likely still in that wheel's trajectory. As Jonathan Garvey and Rob the delivery man try to move this 900-pound wheel, it's Jonathan Garvey saying it, up and over a small lip, cue music, close-up shots, and quick edits galore. The tension is building. And that dowel used to move the wheel? Yeah, it breaks. And yeah, Charles is not directly in line, but that wheel busts that door down, knocking Charles to the ground. Jonathan Garvey comes rushing in to check Charles. It looks like he's hit his head, but it's most likely some ribs. And Rob is sent out on another delivery to deliver this news to Doc Baker. Somehow Caroline knew to come running into town at that exact moment. She's clairvoyant, but claims that she was actually at the blind school when she heard this news. And one, who told her? Two, why didn't they offer her a ride into town? And three, it's broken arm and ribs. As Caroline comes rushing in the building, Doc Baker steps out of the room and greets her and tells her Charles is going to be a little loopy and he's going to need some help at home. Good old Doc Baker, stating the obvious since season one. And Caroline steps through the curtain and it's the return of a character we have not seen for a while and I have to admit, I have missed. It's bare-chested Charles. Caroline wakes her husband up and ugh, these drugs are doing something for Charles's stand-up. There are jokes galore and they are amusing. However, because of this incident, Charles will be missing out on the entire milling season. Cut to night at Plum Creek. Homework time. Andy's fears are coming true. There is more homework. Charles is asleep and Caroline, whew, she looks tired. She's so tired, Laura offers to get her coffee. And as Caroline sips, she spills the tea. Their biggest concern, of course, no surprise, is they don't have much money. Albert offers to take Charles's spot at the mill. I'm a big boy. Caroline tries not to LOL and says no because one, you got school, and two, you're not so big. Caroline then asks Laura if that help wanted sign is still hanging outside of Nellie's. Laura confirms, but Pa wouldn't like it. Caroline, what's he gonna do? Get out of bed and chase me? And she tells those two, sometimes what we like and what we have to do are two different things. And first thing in the morning, she's going to check out that job. Albert inquires if she's going to tell Charles. And Caroline, 
Caroline is switching things up. Instead of going to her old don't count your chickens before they hatch, she's moved on to cart before the horse and says she'll only need to tell him if she gets the job. Cut to black smoke rising out of the chimney at Nellie's. The pancakes are black. The skillet is black. The bacon is black. The oven and stove are black. And so is the smoke coming out of it. Oh, and Harriet is actually cook here-ish. Nellie comes in with an order, and peeking out the door, there are actually a number of customers. Harriet Olson seems to know only how to cook for four people. Apparently, she's never cooked pancakes or bacon either. Oh, and there's also what could be eggs or biscuits. Hard to tell. They're also black. Nellie investigates what's ever in the sink, and Harriet Olson flat out admits, heck if I know what's in there. Harriet makes a stack of those burnt pancakes and gives it to Nellie, who refuses to serve it on account she might get a bad rating. Harriet steps out of the kitchen and into the lobby and gives the customer his plate, at which point he wonders out loud what they are. Harriet tells the man it's an old family recipe, and he responds with, was your family blacksmiths? And he decides to head home. And as he heads out, he passes by Caroline with baby Grace. She follows Harriet back into the kitchen. And in this moment, Caroline has a lot of power. FYI, she told baby Grace, possibly two-year-old baby Grace, to stay put out by the stairs. Inside the kitchen, we see Harriet Olsen cut her finger while trying to slice some bacon and she starts swinging that knife around screaming just kidding in fact caroline escorts harriet over to a counter and applies a piece of bread whole wheat and tells her to apply pressure caroline knows multiple uses for bread caroline then inquires to harriet if she would like her to take over this order would you as she squeezes that bread. This is Caroline's interview. She demonstrates the ability to crack open eggs with one hand, says she has some experience, you know, from Winoka, while also proceeding to sanitize that knife and going back to slicing some bacon. Caroline then inquires how much this will pay, and seriously, Harriet seems as though she was actually not going to pay a cook. But she blurts out a dollar a day, which of course Caroline turns down. And she doesn't back down from her negotiations when she says two dollars a day and Sunday's off. There's not that much of a pause before Harriet responds with a yes. Caroline, however, mentions that she will begin tomorrow. And I just have to say, those poor remaining customers. Back at Plum Creek, Charles bare-chested Charles, that is, is hot, heated, at Caroline's news of employment. And after insulting both Nellie and Harriet, Charles admits the real reason is that while she was serving strangers in Winoka, here she's serving friends and community, and then waiting around for tips? Caroline smiles and says, your ego's tripping out. Just kidding. She says, your concern is for your public image? Pride? 
that's a non-issue for her, and proceeds to quote Charles's own words as her defense, which gets an immediate response, and actually his blessing. But Caroline admits she would have done it anyway. They share a loving joke, which results in an LOL, and of course, a wince of pain from bare-chested Charles. It's another morning at Plum Creek, and the chickens are making their way out of the coop. Upstairs in the loft, Laura, in a floral print green dress, is completing her 100 brushstrokes and adding a hairband. Albert comes up to fetch his slate, and Laura inquires an opinion of how she looks. Albert admits that it would be hard to play ball with your hair down, and Laura says that she's not going to play today. She's looking for a more mature style. P.S. The headband isn't doing it, Laura. And she inquires to Albert how she looks. And Albert admits, you look like a young girl with old hair. Now come on. At school, the boys are playing ball, not baseball, and Laura's at the top of the stairs, adjusting her appearance as Manny and Eliza Jane show up. Eliza Jane heads into school, and this is when Laura jumps out. Manny says hello to Beth and proceeds to tell her he's got a new job at the feed and seed right across the way and promises that if he sees her at lunch, he'll promise her a wave. Laura, trying to sound older, um, I'll be inside studying. I have plans to be a teacher. We're reminded of the all work and no play mantra, and Laura admits, I know. But they only play children's games. Nothing a young woman would play. Unless you're a young woman named Sam and you're wearing overalls. Laura mentions the change in hairstyle, and Manny admits he notices it and says it looks nice. And we get a and we get a vision of Laura, a smile with a dreamy haze around her, which proceeds to melt when Manny says, yeah, there's nothing cuter than a little girl in pigtails. He says goodbye and turns the wagon to head to work. At this moment, Harriet comes out of Nellie's with a parent signed sheet that Willie has to return and says she does not want to hear about him being in the corner again. And Willie, no promises. Harriet turns and then inquires to Laura, who is that boy you were talking to? Laura shares her intel, and both mention that he is nice looking. That's putting it subtle. And as Laura heads into school, Harriet runs into Nellie's with an excited shrill. Inside school, we find out homework is 50% of everyone's grade, and there are no late turn-ins except for in the cases of illness, death, barn fires, epidemics. With the homework on the board and Willie in the corner, class is dismissed for the weekend. Outside, Laura catches Harriet and Nellie talking with Manny. Carrie comes to her sister and inquires if she could get some help with her homework. And Laura, sure, yeah, all right, whatever. Later, she's going to head over to see if Caroline needs any help in the kitchen. Albert then escorts Carrie home and says he'll help her with her homework. Meanwhile, Manny is trying to avoid an invite for dinner. Harriet claims he could pick any day out of the week and out of the blue, she calls him Zeldamo. Love it. Manny corrects her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I said. What's your favorite dish? And he admits it's cinnamon chicken. And 
which causes Harriet to proudly boast that's Nellie's speciality. And so she makes the date for Sunday at 7 p.m. without him actually accepting the offer. And as you guessed it, Harriet is desperate to get Caroline to cook that meal on Sunday, and it's a hard no from her. It's the Lord's Day, and Harriet, oh, heaven's sakes. Laura then walks in and volunteers to do it instead, and Caroline, scolding her, says it is the Lord's Day, and Laura, flying into that gray zone, says that she would do it for free. Then it wouldn't be work. I would be helping out a friend. She's trying not to retch as she's saying it. And Caroline, well, easily swayed, grants Laura permission. Cut to Sunday at Plum Creek. Charles is out of bed. It's been one week since the accident, and he is happy to sit up at the table. Carrie's busy making a bed. Baby Grace, busy being a baby. Laura comes down from the loft, runs to the cupboard to grab the cinnamon spice, and runs out the door. And she runs towards the camera, stops, and peels the label from the tin and throws it on the ground, which, one, litter bug, and two, you don't leave evidence. Because what does it say on the label, dear listeners? It says, cayenne pepper. Cut to Nellie coming down the stairs and into the kitchen to check on the chicken. Is it ready? It better be good. It's his favorite. Laura promises it will be just right when she adds just enough cinnamon. And Nellie, this is when she makes her mistake and demands more cinnamon. And Laura blissfully complies, applies. She's having a good time shaking that tin. Nellie also informs Laura that she can stick around until they're done, so she can do the dishes too. And when Manny enters, Laura is told to be quiet and go to the pantry. And Nellie steps out and calls Manny punctual, which, if you want to get out of something, you get there as soon as you can and put in just a right amount of face time. As Nellie is fishing for compliments, she tells Manny to have a seat as she goes over to the oven to get dinner. And Nellie Olson apparently has never used an oven because apparently she doesn't know it gets hot. And we get a lovely shriek as she grabs the handle. Manny, out of instinct, not so much out of concern, asks if she's all right. And Nellie admits that she does her best singing in the kitchen as she waves for Laura to come and help her out. And truth be told, we have to hear Nellie's singing for a little while. She eventually brings out those plates, placing them on the table and having a seat. Nellie inquires if Manny would like her to say the blessing. Sure. And she begins, blah, 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 me, blah, blah, amen. And Manny actually looks excited for this meal. He admits his sister's been busy grading papers. So apparently, like Charles, Manny doesn't cook. Put a check mark in the uh, column for Adam Kendall. Manny and Nellie have a piece of chicken. And the effects are not immediate. There's about a 10 second delay. And unfortunately, they're unaware. Water's not going to do any good. But the two of them make their way into the kitchen, proceed to pump water. And Nellie admits this is all Laura's fault. She cooked the meal and she's hiding in the pantry. And heading over there and pulling back the curtain... It's empty. Manny's had enough and says he's leaving. And heading out the door, 
past Harriet and Mr. Olson. Oh, leaving so soon, Zeldomo? Manny corrects her. That's what I said. There's a loud crash from the kitchen and a scream. And rushing inside, they are greeted with Nellie trashing the kitchen. As they watch the spectacle, Harriet demands Mr. Olson to do something. And he does. He says goodnight, I'm heading to bed, and leaves. Hashtag Team Nails. And as he leaves, Laura steps out of the shadows and smiles at the mayhem she's caused inside, all in the name of love. And we get a caption that says, next week, part two. Or as I would like to say, continuity. All right, well, this recap went a little long, but there was a lot of setup for the season in this episode. So the one bit of trivia I'm going to throw out here, because I'm going to save most of our additional trivia for the end of part two, is that season six debuted exactly one month after I was born. So whether or not that makes you feel older or younger is up to you. And with that, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. Ask and you shall receive. I had mentioned at the end of season five's recap that I felt as though there wasn't that much Nellie or that much Laura, in fact, in the previous season. And here we are, episode one, season six, and we get plenty of both of them. Nellie is granted the title of adulthood, so fingers crossed we see some of her childhood antics and behaviors start to mature a little bit as she now takes on ownership of a restaurant. Truth be told, after she received her gift and the students were all heading back into school, she was standing there alone. I did feel a little bad for her. She is so unprepared from being outside of her parents' house as well as the schoolhouse. And while Nellie is trying to hold on to her youthful school years, and Laura seems to think that being in school is childish because she wants to be an adult now. I mean, a woman. So she can spend more time with Almanzo. And speaking of, our Almanzo here, yes, a very dashing and charming gentleman. And it looks like he is a man when he stands next to Laura. And I do have to confess, as dreamy as Almanzo is, they needed an actor who was a little... I hesitate to use the word younger, but perhaps somebody who looked younger or perhaps a smaller build, you know, somebody who didn't look near identical to Charles in size and shape. In Melissa Gilbert's memoir, Prairie Talks, chapter 8, entitled, Oh Spit, They Got a Real Man. She writes of how she was a 15-year-old playing something like a 13, 14-year-old who meets her quote-unquote husband who is a man in his 20s. She writes as a 15-year-old what her world includes and then compares to contrast it with the life of Dean Butler. And yes, they are in two different worlds. Melissa Gilbert continues to write that she was thinking more of a contemporary would be cast as El Monzo. She name drops Eric Shea, who already was on Little House as Jason A. in Bunny and the Talking Machine. I don't know, perhaps a real 18 or 19 year old would have fit the bill. So it is a little awkward to watch Laura trying to be cutesy with Almanzo throughout this episode. But as I say this, 
I do recall another TV series, one that I hold very dear to my heart, that also had this pairing of a young female actress and an older male actor who throughout the series do come closer together. I am talking about my so-called life. When Claire Danes' Angela Chase is standing next to Jared Leto's Jordan Catalano, it doesn't look like there is an eight-year between the two actors, which is strange because when we have Melissa Gilbert next to Dean Butler, there's also that eight-year age difference. And it 100%, if not a little more, looks like it. However, with that being said, Almanza Wilder, as well as Jordan Catalano, woof. And seriously, where did Allie G go? I know Eliza Jane Wilder makes her appearance in the Prairieverse in the books, but why did she show up now in Walnut Grove? What's going on with Allie G? But I'll tell you what's going on with this week's Little House Moment, which goes to the tenth scene where we learn about physics and they lose control of the mill wheel. I think Michael Landon got it right in this particular scene with his edits, his close-ups, his music choice, and, no pun intended, everything just seemed to line up nicely in this scene. And even though you could see what was about to happen a mile away, the big surprise from this entire scene was the return of bare-chested Charles. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. So what we have mostly that takes place throughout this episode are two girls, Nellie and Laura, who are in two different worlds, kind of, as they now try to make their way towards Almanzo, which this is the first time since season three that they've both been interested in the same boy, Jason A. And the return of bare-chested Charles was our catalyst that got Caroline into Nellie's kitchen, which eventually steamrolled into that cayenne pepper chicken dinner. It's a very basic story that happened here, but it just seemed to go on for quite a long time. Two new characters being established, as well as an entirely new set piece. For a two-part episode, it seemed appropriate, rather basic, setting everything up, and then all the excitement is going to happen in part two. Could this have been a long run? No, 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 we don't say that word. As exciting as it is getting new cast members and a new location to shoot at, the story is kind of basic, setting things up for future episodes and seasons. You know, we might not even see Almanzo for a few episodes, but we know he is there and we know what is going to happen. And partially because of Laura's voiceover giveaway, but partially because if you've read the books, you know. So that is why we are going to give season six debut episode, Back to School, part one, four and a quarter bonnet rating. Like an appetizer at a meal, it gave me a tease of what to expect and left me feeling like I wanted more. And as always, those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And if you'd like to share any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season, from Plum Creek with Love at Gmail or Instagram is where you can share your thoughts. Season 6 Spotify playlist is underway. So, as always, 
anticipate a very eclectic multitude of music. And coming up next week, dear listeners, is part two of Back to School. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Welcome back. And as always, until next time, take care.